taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Welcome aboard, everyone. Let's welcome in the socialized shut-in pastor, Brian Chilton. <laughs> Thank you, Curtis. How are you doing, brother? <laughs> Good. It's kind of hard to be a pastor uh, and remain a, uh, remain socially distant, isn't it? Yeah, I feel kind of like one of those uh, ancient monks. <laughs> 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 as they're there in their cave, but you know, God is blessing. But I, I have to say, even through the difficulties uh, that we're facing and and uh, the situations that we're encountering, God is actually using this still for His glory. Um, I, I noticed uh, I, I had, was received a uh, an email the other day uh, from an individual from Dallas, Texas, uh, who said that he has been listening to uh, our services online and uh, that oh, wow. he's. Been been blessed uh, from them and i even said that once the pandemic uh, ends that he's wanting to come and and uh, maybe join us for worship sometime so obviously i say well, you come right along uh but oh, man. Uh, so yeah it's been an interesting situation uh, it's amazing how god has uh been using this for his glory and uh how uh, just, just to see how god has been been reaching different people uh through the virtual services that we have had yeah Fantastic! Yeah, we uh, we did a we did a, a fun one last week um, on on last Sunday. We uh, actually um, our our lead pastor, uh, Pastor Lynn, actually uh, stepped down, and we um, inaugurated a new pastor, a pastor that we've had for a little while. Um, and uh, in that, we couldn't be as a church; we couldn't be there. Um, in, in the church building, but we were all in the parking lot, and we did the service outside in the parking lot on the FM uh, FM station, FM radio, and I tell you what, it was an amazing service. Um, every time we'd say amen, we were, we were honking. We weren't saying amen, so it got to be kind of loud. It was pretty fun. <laughs> And just uh, so so our listeners know, we're uh, using uh, a little bit of a different uh, technology to bring the podcast today, and so uh, I'm hoping the sound comes through really well. It seems like it's coming through on the uh, recording device, but uh, but uh, I, I think it's going to be good. Yeah, you just never know. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a big topic today, Brian. Why don't you fill us in of uh, what we got here? Absolutely. We're talking today about an issue that uh, in, in some ways may be a bit controversial. Uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, we, we don't experience the grace that we often need to. Uh, and, and so people have often taken camps uh, and, and um, quite honestly, I think have... have uh, disregarded many individuals uh it, christian individuals uh, for for different theological reasons and so uh, as i've mentioned before there are uh, i think three or four categories of theological doctrines and i think this is an issue that is probably more along the lines of being a uh, second level doctrine a uh, very important doctrine at that uh, but we're talking today about whether or not god continues to move um, or continues to move in the same way today that he did in the New Testament church. And so to break this uh, down, there are two general camps, um, and we're, we're going to use uh, uh, the term cessationism uh, and, and, and the word continuism. And so the word cessationism uh, are individuals who believe that, that God no longer operates 
uh, in the same manner that he once did. They see a distinction between the New Testament church uh, and the church of today. And so um, I think even with cessationism, you have two branches. You have strong cessationists. Uh, they don't believe that God interacts with the modern church in any way, shape, or form as he did with the apostolic church. Uh, they hold that miracles rarely ever happen throughout the history of humanity. And when they do happen, they are used to prove the legitimacy of a certain prophet, uh, priest, or king, or someone, or something of that sort. And uh, to, to prove the uh, ministry of Jesus, miracles were used. So uh, good examples of a strong cessationist would be examples like John MacArthur, um, and also Todd Friel, uh, who is uh, the host of the Wretched podcast. So uh, these would be two examples of a strong cessationist. Um, a mild cessationist is an individual who believes that miracles can still occur. Um, and bear with me here. They, they believe that miracles can still occur, but they see that um, that they don't happen they only happen in certain occasions or for certain reasons. Uh, that they can happen, but they don't generally happen. And they still see a distinction between the New Testament church and um, and um, the New Testament church and the modern church. John Piper and R.C. Sproul would be two individuals considered to be mild cessationists. Uh, then on the other side, you have guys who are considered to be. Uh, continuists and continuists believe that God continues to operate today as He did in times past. Uh, so, mild continuists hold that God still actively works miracles and uses similar gifts as found in the New Testament church, although they may differ as to what the miracles were or, or the, what the gifts were. Uh, and they may see um, they they may hold differences in opinion on how they are implemented in the modern church, but they still see that uh, that God continues to work even today. Wayne Grudem, I believe, from what I've read of him, would be probably a mild continuist. And Curtis, this is interesting because Grudem would be considered a mild Calvinist as well. Uh, Millard Erickson, not necessarily in his theology book, but from something I've read of him on um, online. Uh, it seems to suggest that he is a mild uh, continuationist as well. Um, then you have strong continuism or continuationism, however you want to say it. They hold that God operates in exactly the same way now that he did in the New Testament church. Uh, they would look at uh, uh, certain gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and anyhow, Michael Brown and Craig Keener would be two individuals who would be considered as part of the strong continuationist movement. So these are these are the two, or actually the four different branches of thought as we uh, are, are looking at this topic today. Yeah. Well, good. That's those are four points that we can uh, actually tackle pretty good. Um, you know, I think it's it comes down to I think we need to spend some time defining terms here maybe maybe dig into that a little deeper absolutely so um so well one of the big issues that seems to come about with this with this whole issue is um the idea if of whether god continues to speak to us as uh modern believers and and some individuals would say that if in fact i've heard todd Friel say something similar to this, that if God speaks to us, then that must mean that uh, what we hear from God is um, is the same thing as, uh, as biblical revelation. And so uh, that the canon would continue through what we hear God saying. And I think it's important to distinguish between biblical revelation and the illumination of the Spirit. So, biblical revelation would be the infallible Word of God given through prophets to the world. And as we're going to talk about here in a few moments, we understand as continuists that uh, that the biblical canon is closed. And so, there is no more inspired, infallible, and errant Scripture given. Uh, that's been closed with the book of Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, that's been closed. 
But we do understand that illumination is the Spirit's work to guide us and direct us even in our understanding of Scripture. And there's several verses that we could look at that show just that very thing. Um, for instance, uh, John 16, 13, and 14. Now, do, do you have that Scripture on you there, Curtis? I don't. <laughs> All right, hold on a second. Let me, uh, let me see if I can bring it up here. And the other ones. Well, I tell you what, you want to go ahead and bring up the other one, and I'll be looking that up. Well, I have First um, uh, Corinthians twelve is what what we were what we were what I was kind of digging into, um, and and it goes into the spiritual gifts, um, and it talks about First um, Corinthians twelve. It talks about. Uh, as the diversity of the body and it says for as the body is one and has many members but all members of that one body being many are one body so also in, is Christ for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews Greeks whether slaves or free we all have been made to drink in one spirit and I my my point is, I guess in this is if if Paul was thinking that the canon is is going to be closed, or I mean, if he knew he was writing scripture at this time, would he have attacked this differently? Would he have talked to the Corinthians differently? I I look at this as what would the what would the first century believers be hearing in these statements that are being made? Um, as Paul is writing this to the Corinthians. Well, and I, th I think that when it comes to Scripture, the way I've heard it explained, and I think this is a something that, um, that that is important to talk about, is that that the early church came to the understanding from what they had seen uh, of the Scriptures uh, and used several different tests like apostolic authority, um, they they knew the earliest message of the church, and so whether that confirmed with the teachings of Jesus and things of that nature. So they, they had these proof texts that they were able to use to to discover the the authorized canon of Scripture. So you bring up a good point. Did Paul know that he was was writing infallible Scripture? Probably not. You know, I, I think in his mind he was writing letters and things of this nature. Now, did John know that he was recording uh, the, the truths of God? He may have known a little bit more than Paul because having the revelation that he did when writing the book of Revelation, you know, he was told, preserve these words for future generations. So he may have had more of a knowledge of that than some others. So, um, But when we talk about illumination... Uh, what we're talking about is is God's communication with us uh, is is His illumining of truths, pointing us back to the truths of Scripture. So mm -hmm. I, I found John sixteen, uh, John sixteen thirteen and, and through uh, through fifteen. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. To guide is talking about a form of communication. Um, so he guides us into truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. Uh, so there's even some insight uh, illuminating our lives to, to help us, show us the right paths which we should go. Uh, Psalm 119 talks about this very thing, that his word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Uh, so there is this illumination that happens in our lives. Uh, he says he goes. He will glorify me. So the Spirit is going to take us back to glorification of Christ, glorification of the Father, because He will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Even so, everything right. the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that He takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So um, I don't think anybody can get around this illumination of the Spirit. Now, when we would say we would. We could call this revelation, but we're using the term illumination to distinguish between the revelation that God gives us in Scripture from the illuminating 
uh, message he gives us as he directs our paths. So it, right. it's even required that God communicates with us for us to even understand Scripture and, and spiritual truths right. in the first place. Right. Yeah, it, it does talk about that. And you find that word um, in there, uh, John 16, when it says, uh, and and declare it to you. That's a that's a uh, a indication that he's going to either speak in in a you know in some sort of uh, you know through the scriptures to us or through prayer he's going to reveal something to us that we may need to do or we need to be open to. Um, I think that's kind of a I, that's an important word that we need to uh, really kind of see or or recognize. And and I agree because. People talk about having callings upon their lives. Mm-hmm. Well, to understand that calling would require some communication on, from God's part to us. So I, I think there almost seems to be this hard line that in the sand that's been drawn. But really when you decipher through different things... I mean, you hear people talk about God doesn't communicate with us. God doesn't communicate with us. But at the same token, the same people would say, well, God reveals truths to us. God uh, moves us into the truth. Uh, So there has to be some form of communication that happens there for that to to happen. Um, Right. Yeah. You know, um, you you look at or you you, we kind of sit and we we talk about or you hear people talk about that um, they were reading the scripture one day or they're reading the Bible one day and God just opened something up in their mind to, to be able to um, they understand something deeper or that uh, you know that, that scripture was revealed to them to go and it, they could go and communicate to a person. I heard a pastor one time say, that he was dealing with the with these with this woman who um, her and, and another friend were were really kind of getting it deep into a cult, and he was and he was praying through the scriptures one day and he come across the scripture and it said it, it was talking about the scripture was saying um, that the that the demonic or or a cult essentially is going to you know will um, how how did I, how did he put it. He said he was reading in the scripture that um, when a person is being deceived, they are completely blinded because they are are fully committed to that deception is kind of what he was saying, how, how it was kind of coming across. And so he confronted this this these this group of women, these, these two women, and he he actually confronted them with with this uh, statement saying, um, you, you now, or, or you're, are you sleeping with, or are you, uh, engaging in stuff that is non-biblical? And, and it, and it came out that, uh, uh, that the one woman actually had been sleeping with the leader of the cult. Oh, and wow. so she was actually fully blind to what, what, uh, what the Bible was saying, what, what, what the pastor was saying and those things. And not until that was revealed or opened up. Was he able to really kind of figure out what was going on in in her life? Well, and, and I think that's one of the dangers of of it, as we're going to talk about later in the podcast. One of the dangers of at least a strong cessationism, uh, not necessarily mild, because there's a as we were talking before the podcast, two and three mild continuism, mild cessationism that they can kind of bleed over and, and are very comparable uh, to one another in some aspects. They're different in, in the level of, uh, of God's continued work that they see in the modern church. But one of the great problems I see with strong cessationism is the fact that we're told to that by Paul to take up the armor of God. We are in this spiritual war going on all sure. around us. Yeah. We're in spiritual warfare, and by denying God's work and denying that God can work in the same fashion, seems to me that as if it's almost um, not putting on the armor as well as we should, spiritually speaking. So, 
you know, that's that's something to you know consider there as well. Ephesians uh, 1, 17 and 18 also says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Here again, pointing us back to Jesus, back to the salvific work in Christ. He says, I pray that your eyes, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. So here again, there's this communication that goes on between God and us and uh, uh, this illuminating work that takes place. As well. Now, you found something in First John talking about discernment, uh, discerning. Yeah, spirits. yeah, you, yeah. You got First John four, where it says, uh, uh, "Beloved, do not uh, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ." has come in the flesh is from God. Mm-hmm. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you hear was coming now into the world already. So so if if God if if God's not speaking to us or if we're not allowed, if we can't test the spirits, how do we or if the spirits are, are not there or if we're not able to discern those kind of things then why why is that in this part of the scripture here yeah i agree i agree and you know there's there's some tests that that he gives us about you know the confession of that jesus has come in the flesh and things of this nature does a person say but anyhow this this discernment is a spiritual thing we're told about throughout scripture about the gift of discernment and so Mm -hmm. I think that if we have discernment or if there is a need for discernment, not only is it to tell us who is um, speaking truth from God, but it also shows us, it illumines our paths to know that there is the spiritual uh, element to our lives, not just the physical, but there's something even beyond that. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I think... Uh, I think really being able to um, show that um, scripturally that we are to be discerning. And it says so in the, in the previous uh, first Corinthian passage that I was saying, you know, that, that there are, there are those that have the gift of prophecy. There's those that have the gift of discernment. There's those that have the gift and it goes on and talks about those gifts. It doesn't say that each one has those, Everybody has those gifts. Every you know, it says some may have it and some don't. Right. Um, some are some are the the hand of the body of Christ and some are the toenail of the body of Christ. <laughs> well, and that's right because it's one God, one Christ, one Spirit, one Church. But we're we're all different members who compose the same Church, and that's a great point, Curtis that uh, we may not all have the same spiritual gifts, but that's fine. God didn't intend for us to all have the same spiritual gifts, but we're all part of the same body. And so mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes, quite honestly, I think that uh, the modern church is guilty of competitiveness. I think where we're different churches and different ministers and different groups try to compete against one another, but just this understanding that we're part of the same team is is really I think uh, enlightening. I think it also is beneficial that that we're not competing to see who has the most members. We're we're com- our our true competition is against the devil, and uh, mm-hmm. we, we have to know that there is an enemy. And we have to know uh, that we need to be in tune with with the Lord to be able to fight them off because we can't fight them off on our own. The great great point. Right. Yeah, yeah. So where do we go from here? Well, also, uh, you know, there are several different things we could discuss, but but the continued work of miracles, uh, th- this is something for me that's quite fascinating because I have seen God work miracles uh, every day. And I think it depends on 
what you want to consider a miracle. I mean, sometimes we look for the dramatic, but I truly believe that God works miracles every single day if we really stop to mm-hmm. consider it. Uh, sometimes it's just by putting someone in our pathway where, you know, it was just a word we needed to hear. Um, I don't even think call things coincidences anymore. I think there are divine encounters that God has for us in life. But uh, but not just that. I think there are big miracles that God does. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we could first of all talk about the miracle of salvation. And Curtis, you, you and I were talking before the podcast about um, we weren't necessarily searching for the Lord, but the Lord found us. Right. And that, and that very thing that, uh, uh, that our heart is steered or turned to God in itself is, is a miracle. Um, just the fact that, that I'm a believer today is a miracle. Not the fact, not the circumstances surrounding why I am a, a believer, but just the very fact that I am a believer is a miracle. And I think that's something that, that the even cessationists would say, yes, God does that miracle. Um, what they would probably go into more saying is there's nobody that has the gift of a healing miracle worker or um, the person that has a spiritual specific healing gift or or prophecy gift yeah you know and i think that's i i think that it's almost i I don't know what the word i'm looking for there but it 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 either it seems to me that, that and maybe i'm making this too black and white but it seems to me that that it either god still continues to do miracles or he doesn't and i think that sometimes we try to put God in a box. So, as you said, salvation itself is is a miracle, and so that requ- that would require God communicating to us. That would require God's moving upon us. To and, and this is something as we mentioned before. A lot of times, those who are not Calvinists, and we're not trying to pick on Calvinists here on the Bellator Christie podcast, but just simply saying that, that those who are more of a Calvinist persuasion have accused non-Calvinists of being Pelagian. Pelagius, his great error was saying that we pursue God, God doesn't pursue us, we can save ourselves. And everyone from Calvin to John Wesley would agree that God is the first mover. God pursues us. He's the one who opens our eyes. He's the one who brings us into this, uh, this salvation. The question is, are we able to respond to the moving mm-hmm. of the Spirit? And that's where the distinctions are uh, are different. So, so yeah, the, the the fact that we are saved is definitely a is definitely a miracle. But as you mentioned, the question is: Does God still do miracles of healing? Does God still do exorcisms? Does God still do healing? So. Curtis, I know you had some thoughts on that, and I think you had a quote there as well about uh, some people who had uh, been healed. Um, I had one here um, from uh, Science Direct. Um, It says, uh, it was a case report of instantaneous resolution of juvenile molecular degeneration blindness after a proximal intercessory prayer. And it goes into talking about um, uh, it says uh, this present case study, uh, lasting lasting recovery of juvenile molecular degeneration is unique. The literature, uh, in, in, unique in the literature, juvenile molecular degeneration involves an inherited form of central vision loss. So it's inherited already in her that this this gal that she couldn't see. Um, it was a det- uh, it was a uh, deterioration of of her of the retina and stuff. And it, it says here, it is possible to have individuals with JMD that retain useful vision in adulthood, while for others the disease may progress more rapidly. Two of the most common forms of JMD include uh, the Stegart's disease uh, and the Best disease, also known as uh, vitelliform retinal uh basically the retina detaches 
So it says here, um, both of these disorders have different inheritance patterns. Um, and it goes down and it talks about how later on this gal, she had, um, let's see here. She had, she had had blindness and it was, it was verified. And it says here, an 18 year old female lost the majority of her central vision over the course of three months. In 1959, medical records records medical records from 1960 indicate visual um, acuities of less than 20 to 400, 2400, um, both uh, in both eyes. So she could barely even see any any light or anything, uh, and that corresponded into um, legal bi- legal blindness. Um, and it says. Um, it goes in and it talks about she said it says she was diagnosed with a molecular degeneration and declared legally blind in 1972 having been blind for over 12 years the individual reportedly regained her vision instantaneous after receiving proximal intercessory prayer subsequent medical records document a repeated uh, repeated documentation of improvement including uncorrected uh, VA of 2100 in each eye in 1974 and corrected VAs of 2030 and 2040 were recorded in 2001. Amen. I I have here, and we were talking about this before the podcast as well, Craig Keener has has written a two-volume book on, on miracles called Miracles, the Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. And I, I want to read you a couple of, of passages. There are several stories we could choose from. Uh, but on page 514, he talks about uh, a healing of the blind. And, and Curtis, I would say that this goes along with the whole issue of naturalism. Uh, all it takes is one miracle to prove that God still works right. in this in this fashion. All it takes is one. Right. Um, Five fourteen says today such reports continue to remain common. As I have noted, this is especially true in much of the majority world, where medical treatment is often tragically far less accessible than in the West. So it may be that God works through medicine today, but in the majority world, uh, third world nations. Uh, that's the only hope some people have is God working a miracle. The vast majority of the world's hearing and visually impaired people live in the majority world and most lack access to conventional treatments. Among other sources, I have noted a growing movement in Mozambique where reports of healings of blindness and deafness are common. He goes on to say, two of my Baptist students... I get this. Two of my Baptist students witnessed a healing of a blind of a man's blindness in Cameroon when one of them, a Cameroonian minister, prayed for the man. I've already noted a recent African report where three blind children were healed at once together. Reports of other meetings where many were healed of blindness and other eyewitnesses testimony eyewitness testimonies of blindness healed, including the visible disappearance of cataracts. The cataracts were just gone. Uh, immediately, yeah. cataracts medically, cataracts can normally be removed only by surgery, but this was a healing where the cataracts were gone yeah. by prayer. Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess I, I guess I guess I kind of go into this, Brian. We talked last week a little bit about it, but in my eyes, then. If God doesn't move, if God doesn't do miracles, then why pray? Why pray for people? Why pray for salvation? Why pray for healing of the sick? Why why use the, the verses in James where it says, grab your elders and lay hands on the sick and, and anoint them with oil and, and pray for them? They're, you're not praying that, um, that you're just trying to make them feel better. You're praying for healing. You're you're praying for that, but if if you follow the full cessationist viewpoint, why pray at all? That, that's a good point. That, that's a very good point. Um, if if you don't think God can move or still move in this way, then 
you know, a lot, a lot of times people will say, well, we leave it up to God's will. But even if you pray for healing, you're still living it up to God's will because maybe it's not his will to heal that person. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't care for the person. It may mean that, you know, sometimes, quite honestly, if God answered all of our prayers for healing, no one would ever go to heaven, <laughs> to be honest. So so in God's will, you know, it may be that it's, it's just the time for the person but that's not to say that God doesn't still move. Uh, right. You're right. What is the purpose of prayer if we don't think prayer has any power in right. and of itself? And, and I think that's a great point. Okay. Let me read you one more story from Keener's book. This is this is a remarkable story. It's about a, a pastor in Mumbai recounts that in May 2007, not too terribly long ago, more than 100 believers were gathered at a camp when one of our young people noticed a young boy lying motionless at the bottom of a pool. The boy Vikram belonged to a Hindu family visiting the resort. Jaya, a trained nurse who was part of the church, found no pulse, breathing, or other signs of life. So Jaya, with Sunita, an intercessor, took the boy and his father into an auto rickshack to find a doctor. The first doctor said he was dead. When they found another, he tried and failed to resuscitate him. The Christians kept praying, and an hour and a half later, the rickshaw returned with Vikram alive. Vikram explained that he had heard the name of Jesus and that w- and then was uh, rescued. His Hindu parents were shocked, explaining that previously he had never even heard the name of Jesus. Well, so how about that? <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, it's kind of funny because that... That sounds about right for for God. You know, this man was was at the at, going to hell. He was going where we don't want to be, and God reached in and grabbed him, pulled him out. So by yeah. that one miracle, by that miracle, yeah. the not only was the boy saved, but but a family came to know about Jesus. I mean, right. and, and even when we talk about visions, I mean, all across the world. There are people in uh, places where missionaries can't reach who are mm-hmm. having these visions of Christ and, uh, right. and and coming to salvation because of these visions. So it's so, some people some people have attributed these things to to the devil, but why would the devil encourage someone to come to faith in Christ? That makes no sense. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's and that what you're talking about is what I've heard is that's how a lot of the uh, a lot of Muslims that are shut in uh, that that can't get uh, to uh, a church or can't get to Christ or can't get a Bible. They they are, are encountering dreams. And they're from what I understand, uh, there's there's many of uh, many other uh, good apologists that um, that that actually talk talk about this that are good with Islam them Islam itself um, you look at Ravi Zacharias's ministry and and some of those they they go into that uh, pretty deeply but what I've understood is they'll actually some of these uh, Muslim believers they'll actually have um, the same dream continually continually until they've actually made a move on that and then once they've made a move on it then there's more revealed to them. So the the dream and then the revelation, those two right there are absolute miracles. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so what do you do with that? <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, I could even tell of a couple of other miracles. There's, there's a lady, uh, well, there's a lady here at Westfield. She was told she would never walk again. But she's up and walking, even though it's with the aid of a walker, she's still up and walking. Doctors didn't give her any hope for that. And she attributes that to the power of God. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lady at my former church who had a liver transplant. Uh, they, her chances of survival were very slim. But yet she's she survived now with a liver transplant well over 10 years and and doing better than than um, than anyone could ever expect. That's that's a working of the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. I remember whenever I was at a Bible college, uh, there was a lady who had uh, um, who had reached down to pick up a ball that her children had hit in and in, uh, in, in some weeds, and a weed 
uh, went in through her eye and snagged her optic nerve, and the doctor said she would never see again out of that eye. Well, after prayer, uh, she began to see in uh, black and white images, and her husband came in and say, said uh, in chapel, said not only was she seeing black and white images over the weekend, she started seeing in color, and said that, and said the God had moved so strongly. Now, not only was she seeing, but she was seeing better than she did before she even had the accident out of that eye. So, <laughs> what do you do with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I understand. Um, I guess I understand some of the pullback on that. Is um, you know, like some of that they could attribute it to. Well, you know, God gave us medicine, and God gave us the doctors, and God gave us the 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 you know the doctors the knowledge of how to um, do this. But my question is: is how how did this happen? If the doctors are even uh, standing there scratching their head, like like in that case with that I read the the degeneration of that that was a genetic defect, and from it was documented from 1959 to 1972, and from 1974 on up to 2001, it showed her actually progressing and getting better, not worse. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be that's going to be one of those that um, I think there's there's probably some ground. Uh, that really they they kind of they kind of lose when uh, the cessationists lose when when you start talking about these um, they might attribute it to um, somebody's personal experience or personal feelings or 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 something in that nature but it's still showing a move of God in in everybody's life and and I really have. I guess a hard time understanding their point. If somebody were to stand there and say, look, I had this, this miracle happened to me. What are they going to say to that person that had that miracle happen? You, you know, I think you're right. And I think along with that, I, I, I think we see something similar with the whole issue of near death experiences. Uh, mm. th- th- there, there are, there are some who will push back with near-death experiences, which they, you know, because it is an experiential thing. But the question at the end of the day is, is it true? You know, uh, we have good reasons for believing that uh, near-death experiences happen, not only just because of a person's experience, but because of data that suggests that the person actually did die. They're having conscious experiences outside the body, and they're even able to verify things that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to do if, uh, you know, that the things that they would have never even known, you know, quite honestly. Um, so I think there's almost a bit of fear in some people. Um, I think I think with some people that, that, that I hate to put it this way, and this is certainly not true of everyone and I don't want to categorize everyone who may be a cessationist, and please don't take it this way. But I think with some people, we, we have the idea of God um, being a certain way. But when you start talking about God actually moving and working, he, he becomes real. And I think for some people that's mm-hmm. scary. Uh, I think the whole issue with near-death experiences is scary for some people because they think, while there really is a heaven, there really is a hell, and, and this stuff is 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 a reality. And I think it 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 really it, it really uh, makes things a little more real. And maybe maybe with some individuals that, that there may be something going on that they really don't want to confront. Uh, so so even though they're a believer, it may be that maybe they don't want to confront some of these things. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Or maybe there's a fear that uh, that God's not going to answer a prayer the way they want to, and maybe they they feel that that's going to bring forth doubt. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 just uh, it's. I've always had, and I come from a Baptistic background, and generally there are more cessationists in a Baptistic background 
But this is an issue that I've had, quite honestly, a little bit of an issue with for for quite some time because it seems like God does still move in just as powerful a fashion as He did um, back in the early church. Because as you mentioned prior to the podcast, if we say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then what makes us think that He's not still going to work and move as He has in times past? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I guess you, you kind of look at this, if if we're going to say that God's not doing that, if God's not moving, how close is cessationism, the, the extreme end, how close is that to deism, um, where, you know, God just starts the process and just lets us go? Because um, really, that's that's what my point was earlier than why pray if if god's not involved in what we do and what we're doing in our lives then then why why pray why even come to christ why even worry about that and and that's a great point and i've kind of wondered the ver- the same thing curtis is that you know deism is the idea just just to clarify for people who may not know who may be listening to this and don't know deism is the idea that god um created everything he started everything it's almost like you wound it up like a like a clock or, or like one of those little toys you wind up and you let it go he winds it up and lets it go but he has no interaction after the fact right 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 and do we see that in scripture that, that's the question in my mind do we see an inactive god who is unconcerned about the needs of humanity, I, I I think we see anything but that. Yeah, I don't I don't see that. I, I see I see him uh, in the very beginning wanting to have a, a direct relationship um, with with humankind. You know, Adam and Eve they walked in the in the cool of the day with God. Mm-hmm. That was interaction. That's interaction. And and as you see going along all the way through the scriptures, he's taken a uh, a nation. And and actually putting them on a pedestal and showing um, how the how uh, God is going to move through that people to bring others into salvation, and I think that's a that's a God that wants to be part of our world. Absolutely. And so and so it's almost like a uh, deism posits a God that's almost like a deadbeat dad who wants nothing to do. With with creation, now, in the end, you know, the, the, many deists would say that God uh, that still has an eternal life for individuals. At the end, He may take care of things, but as for the here and now, He just you know have at it, live your own life, do the best you can, and you know don't bother me. <laughs> it's almost the type of attitude yeah. you see with yeah. that. I think another danger we see with uh, at least the strong version of cessationism is. Is I think there's a lack of spiritual power. It goes back to the whole issue you you brought up about prayer. I mean, when we when we pray, do we really believe that God has the power to act and move in our lives? And I think that's that's a that's a question that needs to be asked. Do do we really believe that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think that I think that uh, most definitely people will pray. Um, for their loved ones to come to Christ, they will pray for their uh, family members and, and their friends and, and the people at their church to to come to Christ. And 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 just that prayer in itself is to me is proof that God is still willing to do miracles. We recognize that as human beings, saying, "Wait a minute, we know we know that God moved within us." And we know that he wants to save us, that he wants to do that miracle in our life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, you, you, another issue that we could say is, is, is problematic with uh, a strong version of cessationism is, is the fact that... Uh, we're told by Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 6 that we need to put on the whole armor of God. Uh, and, and we're in the midst of this spiritual battle you know, going on around us. And, and um, do, we, do we realize the power of the enemy? Do we realize 
the situations we may be facing, and and, and that to me is a is a is a question mark as well. If we, if we don't if we're not in tune with 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 God and we're not in tune with uh, the spiritual world, um, are are we not sitting ducks? Mm. In the midst of this this spiritual conflict, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. That's that's another issue I, I have with strong cessationism. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the thing about it, it's some of the cessationists um, uh, that the, some of the cessationist writings that I've found, and and this is this will be kind of you know a hard way for me to explain it, but. Um, the way they talk about it is, um, can God still do miracles? And they'll say, no, but God can still do miracles. It's almost like trying to tape mud to the wall. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's, um, the, the way they, the way they come about it is sure. God can move if he wanted to do it, he could do it, but he doesn't. So he, so he don't. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, yeah, it poses what, a problem. That's for sure. Now I was just gonna say it, it poses a it poses a problem for sure, and um, but you know c- coming up next week, uh, we we hope to if we can get it worked out uh, to have a special guest with us, uh, Chris Berg, and he is a continuationist or a continuist himself. Uh, but what we, what we need to advocate is for a responsible continuism or continuationism again i've heard it called both uh and so yeah. he's going to join us next week and i know you and he have some differences of opinions on, on some of the terminology so i'm looking forward to that curtis to see how you guys yeah. interact with uh, talking about uh uh yeah. some different terms that are used but but obviously we we would want to and, and a danger going too far on the other side i think is what we need to what we're saying yeah. here is that we don't want to get to the point that we are opened up to new age philosophies and new age styles. And Curtis, you know, being a continuous yourself, I've heard you say several times before, uh, warning about certain things, even here on the podcast, yeah. about leading to new age practices, and that's something right. we need to avoid. Yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to swing. It, what what you see is is the typical. <laughs> The typical pendulum, I feel, of their the fearfulness of going too far, so we won't even swing the pendulum. We won't even let that sucker fly. We'll just we just hold it back here because we're safe. Or you get those others that just like oh, let's go all the way the other way, and and you run into those dangers. In in and I think the truth lies within the middle. And yeah, we we base things on scripture. You you look not you you go in something happens for example if something were happen uh, a miraculous event I would I would open up scripture or I would recall scripture in my mind I would bring it to you as as an elder and I would say Pastor Brian this happened to me and I see this in scripture is is this really God moving in my life and that's how we base what we what we see I mean Craig Keener in in that two volume set that's a weightlifting a set monster of, of miracles <laughs> yeah uh, but but you look at it and it's based on scriptural it, scriptural truths it, there are things there that he's got documented that that are true yeah and, yeah and in as he says you know some of them have more evidence backing their claims than others do but here again, even if of the thousands that he that he's encountered, even if say a hundred out of a thousand are true, say ten percent of the stories are true, that's still a remarkable number of miracles that God is continuing to do even today. And so, really, all you need is one. But we have thousands of cases of how yeah. God has worked through people's lives, and I would even dare say. That uh, and and uh, Daniel Sloan he brought up uh, a point as uh, wrote an article on this issue that God brings healing through medicine. Uh, if it weren't for God, I mean, God is the one who actually heals, even though we take the medicine. That's not a guarantee that it's going to work. Uh, so God is the one who brings forth the healing through the medicine. 
And this goes against what Governor Cuomo of New York, uh, Governor of New oh. York, said. You know, he was basically saying, "Well, God didn't do it; we did it." No, if it weren't for God, no healing would happen, whether it be through medicine right. or otherwise. So God, yeah, where that where that wisdom come to to manufacture that uh, that medicine or the ability to even know that that medicine was going to work? That that's that's a wisdom that we get instilled in us through the through the miracle of God. Well, absolutely, and I think there, uh, Curtis was showing something, I think, in the book of Isaiah. I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I can't remember the location, uh, but uh, Daniel was saying that, that, uh, that there's a passage of Scripture that indicates that God had given uh, command to get some type of medicine, and God was given credit for the healing, even though they used medicine. So, again, if we understand that God is our creator and sustainer, even miracles through medicine itself could be attributed to God and His working mm-hmm. too. So you know, right? I want to I want to say this one conclusion here, and then we'll um, move on to the end of the podcast here. Um, this conclusion here on this um, one one uh, document that I was reading says uh, the danger in cessationism is that is that one is confining and claiming to know the exact workings of God in the present day church and largely holding the position based on the history of man and the church rather than on scripture. Taking a strict cessationist stance is unwise even if it is true that the gifts of the spirit are abused in some areas of the modern church. And I think that's important to to pay attention to that's that pendulum swing that I was talking about is we guard it in such a way that then it becomes um, it becomes so uh, that nothing can happen that nothing can really be moving in that way and in that case if if God is not ever present with us an ever present help in time of trouble a friend that's closer than a brother as scripture tells us then not only are we left with a form of deism in some ways it, it, that may actually, as you mentioned earlier, may lead to atheism. You know, so what sure. would be the difference between a powerless Christianity and an atheist worldview outside of, of a belief, of an intellectual belief concern, you know, concerning a few details? Um, yeah, all that comes down to is then they use uh, in 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 that end of it. Then it becomes kind of a um, a worldly uh, deism to to speak that you just have the Bible as some sort of moral background or moral baseline, and really that's that's kind of where that lies. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So be assured, friends, God is the same yesterday, today, and into tomorrow. We at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and is a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christi Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, friends. listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com the opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates the Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under creative commons copyright all rights reserved the opening theme is the song crucified written by John and Michaela Limanis performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.
It's my privilege to announce to you that the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is now available on Kindle. So you can get the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics in all formats now. It's available on Kindle, as well as paperback, hardcover, and you can also find it on the Nook at barnesandnoble.com. So please go and order your copy today and share it, or maybe you'd like to share it with a friend. Whatever the case may be, help us as we get the word out and let people know that we have a faith worth believing in. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristi.com and the Bellator Christie Podcast.